From Los Angeles, California, this is Burncast and I'm the bomb. Happy Tutu Tuesday and welcome to Burncast. In today's episode, we visit Los Angeles decompression, which took place on October 13th, 2007. But first, as always, the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. First up, Otto Schutt, our burning brother, went into surgery to remove a malignant tumor from his abdomen. Starting the first week in November, he'll begin an aggressive regimen of chemotherapy. The response from the community has been an outpouring of powerful love and support. Last Sunday, October 21st, there was a fundraiser at Shine in San Francisco to help Otto's medical expenses, and a whopping total of $73,000 has been raised since we first discovered how serious his condition is. What you're about to hear are a continuation of well wishes from friends in the community. Let's listen. Mr. Otto, Mr. Otto, thinking about you so much and sending you love and warm wishes and healing prayers. All my love to you, my friend, Juliana. Hey, this is for Otto. It's Sarah Gill. I love you, Otto. This is a message for Otto Shut. Otto, this is Jim Vetter, and I want you to know that I am really confident that you have a very, very full karmic bank account, and that whatever has gone on in your belly, you're gonna kick its ass and be back on the playa next year. And I, I hope to be there with you. Rock on. This is a message going out for dear brother Otto. This is DJ Pollywog calling from South Carolina, man. And my heart is full of love for you. Sending lots of prayers of light and healing. And just thinking about you, sir. I miss you and I'm praying for you. All right, dear brother. Rock on. Hi, Otto. This is Pollywog again. And I've just had some more thoughts come up and first off I just want to say that I believe in miracles second of all I, I as a minister I'm sure you know this man but I really do believe that we're created by a divine loving intelligence and every single cell in our bodies is tuned to that intelligence it can heal with that love and that light and so everyone listening I ask that you all think of Otto and just hold him in your heart and send him and all of his cells that love that vibration. Bless you, man. Love you. That was well wishes for Otto Shut. Otto could still use continued love and support in numerous ways. For more information, visit his website, set up by Randomly Kind, at www.ottoshutt.com. That's O-T-T-O-S-C-H-U-T-T dot com. Or click on our blog at burncast.net. Okay, that's it for the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. Let's move on. 
The Los Angeles decompression took place on August 13, 2007. It was a celebration of Burning Man in the streets of downtown Los Angeles, and it was a fun way to get together with other burners in my local community as I asked them what Burning Man means to them and how they've integrated what they've learned in the playa back in their default lives. The first person I caught up with was Taryn, a fellow bear from the Fudgy Bear Tribe, a performance art group with over 400 participants. Let's listen. My name is Tarn, and well, of course, Burning Man is not just one thing, but now Burning Man is uh, quite consuming, uh, unfortunately, because I don't have time for all this. And then year after year after year, it just um, grows so that it is, uh, it, is, it is all year now. I mean, there are days where I wake up, and if it's cold enough, it's just into the bear suit and off to work. Or you off the bear suit to work? Yes, in the rabbit suit and or on Bart, wherever, <laughs> in the car, <laughs> to pick up the kids from school. I mean, it, it's, yeah, I, I tried to go to the airport, but they put a firm stop to that, so I learned that. So the authorities? Or yeah, the, the authorities. Now, the family's fine with it now. The, my family expects <laughs> me to show up in a bear suit at different places, uh, in and out of the water at the beach, before and after surfing. And now, you know, in the mountains, anywhere you go, it's a bear suit. So it, it really <laughs> has been, and this has come from a place where I would just loathe people who would engage in that kind of attention-seeking behavior before. Is so, it attention-seeking behavior for you, or is it expression? Well, what could we call it? I mean, it is, I, no, I don't even think of it that way. It is just, I mean, I do feel like I'm, I'm giving back to the community, if you'll excuse the, the language, because it does, it makes everybody so happy. When you go to the grocery store, you really are gifting to the people in the vegetable section, because they're having a, so much a better time if you're choosing avocados in the bear suit than if you just went regularly. And people are a lot nicer to you. They don't treat you like a normal person. People are so much more friendly and interactive when you're in the bear suit or a rabbit suit or whatever it is that you happen to wear that day. So it's, yeah, no, it's 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 made an impact on daily life. How many years have you been going to Burning Man? Uh, just four. And, uh, and I waited too long because I knew about it for so long and I refused to go for so many years. I refused because I didn't want to have anything to do with those hippies. I really didn't. <laughs> He can he can attest to that, my friend go. here. I wouldn't do it. I just I had no time for that. So what made you? Well, someone finally can ask me for help, and I was a big you know codependent helper, and I said, all right, I'll come help. And then I was only there ten minutes, and I had to go and do some apologizing real quick because I liked it within ten minutes. I had oh sorry 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 okay I'm getting behind it. So that was my story. So what keeps you coming back to Burning Man? Well, what keeps me, there's nothing to keep me not coming back. I mean, now I have so many, you know, I have sewing and bear suits and music and uh, mostly, it's mostly engineering projects and um, yeah, it, it really is. It just, the, now it, and at the very end of it, it starts for next year as far as projects getting built and uh, engineering and logistics, I really get going immediately. And I, I don't have time for it, so it's got to stop. Any advice for newcomers? Um, don't start. <laughs> it really, it's true. Don't start because yeah, it, once you get going, it's bad. You've got other things to do. There's more important things. It's frivolous if you're an adult, then act yeah. like one and don't start. And any advice for old timers? Um, but it's too late for them, <laughs> so they can get their own help. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
They have, yeah, exactly. They can get their own program. Thank you. Thank you. That was Taryn, a fudgy bear at LADCOM. After talking to him, I was invited to eat with the Hare Krishnas, who participated at DCOM by performing music and chanting and offering free and delicious vegetarian food. It was here that I met Mike, a deeply religious Christian man, who told me how Burning Man changed his life. What's your name and how long have you been going to Burning Man? My name is Mike and I've been there two years. And uh, how did you find out about Burning Man? Uh, at a church Bible study seven years ago and we talked about you all going to hell. Did you really? Yes, we did. And so are we going to hell? No, I've joined the elite. We've left our former religion and we've now decided that there's too much to life and the Christian religion makes us all feel guilty and we don't feel guilty for what we do. Wow, so you, um, the perception is what we do uh, in Black Rock City is sinful? Absolutely. In what way? Can you elaborate? A Sodom and Gomorrah 21st century. Seriously. What changed your mind? I ate a three gram mushroom chip. Seriously. At Burning Man or here? Oh, no, no. Outside of Burning Man. Okay. But in between the time, I thought that maybe I wasn't really as happy as a Christian as I thought I wanted to be. And so I ate mushrooms at the behest of a friend and I saw the truth. And I would recommend anyone who wants to know the truth and have abject clarity eat three grams of Cubetsa Stricoria mushrooms. Uh, do you have any advice for newcomers coming to Burning Man? Expect the unexpected. Synchronicity exists every moment and live in the now because you're never going to be able to experience what you experience at Burning Man ever again. And what does Burning Man mean to you? A new lease on life to be myself and create art all I want. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks. It's nice meeting you. That was Mike at LADCOM. Coming up, we'll talk to Ranger Sasquatch and learn about what Burning Man means to him. Hi, I'm Ranger Sasquatch. And what Burning Man means to me is like you have a bunch of dice in a cup and you shake them. And you shake them and you toss them out onto the table and you never know what number is going to come up. That's what Burning Man is to me. I can kid up in the morning, have my breakfast, and walk a hundred yards from my camp and be in the twilight zone. I have no idea what I'm going to meet, but I know that Rod Serling would approve. You know, whatever I run into, it's going to be good, it's not going to hurt me, and I'm going to go, oh, wow. And that's what Burning Man is to me. It doesn't, it's no more complex than that. Some people turn it into a dogma as though it's some kind of religion, and I think that's a mistake. And other people go from year to year expecting it to be exactly the same as when they enjoyed it the most. And I also think that's a mistake. I think it's evolutionary that it changes all the time. I gotta admit that some of the Darwin Darwinistic influences are governmental and we have to adapt to those, but I think that we've done a very good job of adapting within that kind of external pressures environment and we grow and we become more spectacular and more lessons are learned each year in humanity amongst individuals there and I really believe that's what it's about. It's, it's an incubation dish for people to cultivate the best that's in themselves. At least give them the opportunity. Everybody has a crossroads. They can decide whether it's going to be the best they can make it be or whether they're going to follow the dark side and be an asshole. You know, you, 
you, you get you get weird questions at Burning Man. You get odd situations that you've never encountered before, and how you encounter these and how you handle them, and the way it comes out for both parties really, really determines what kind of person you are in my book. Can you give us an example of an unusual or strange situation? Oh well, uh, it's as broad and as open as as what people can present you with. You can be very tired. You can be worn out. You can be just just gone off your rocker and and you're tired of that neighboring camp just hammering you hammering you with the bass and and it's techno and god you you really really you're hungry for melody there in your attempts to go to sleep and and you get up and you go over there and you're absolutely you're you're bent you're you're unhappy and you you want to communicate to them just how how angry you are at them and and you get over there to them and and you just at the last moment decide you'll say Guys, hi. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, I'm so, so in need of sleep. Could you, could you like not have music for the next three hours? And they go, sure. I didn't have any idea. And you go, oh my God! A minute ago, I was the avenging angel, and right now, I, I, by accident, by chance, I decided to do the right thing. And these folks, I found out these people are human beings, and and that, if you ask me, that is the lesson that people learn again and again at Burning Man. They can get aggro, but at the last minute, their better angels call on them, and they approach it from a different, perhaps less invested angle, and they find out that the people on the other end are people too, and they're understanding people. And and agreements like that at Burning Man, that's what community is about. Drink. The cities that we, I mean, pardon me, the cities that we that we live in now, we're shielded from actually making this kind of compact with the individuals that we live with. We have outlets like, oh my God, they're being awful loud. It's two in the morning. I think I'll call the police. We're not encouraged to go over there, and and it's reasonable in a lot of the cities that are, that exist here in America. But at Burning Man, we're actually allowed to relate to each other as individuals. In a, in a greater scheme of things, but more, most importantly, as individuals. And uh, once you can relate to somebody on a one-to-one -one level, it's really, really hard to be aggro at them. How many years have you been coming to Burning Man? Uh, this last year was my eighth year. What inspires you to keep coming back year after year? Um, I, I, I'm a ranger, and I really, really love to feel needed. If, if there wasn't something like the Rangers for me to be at Burning Man, I would still come because I love spectacle. But uh, I'm not a very good artist. Uh, I, I do uh, large-scale art from time to time as, you know, uh, in addition to my rangering. But I know that from year to year that I have something I can contribute that is a benefit to the community as a ranger. She keeps saying drink. <laughs> Am I drying out? <laughs> Am I clicking? Is that what that is? <laughs> Do you have any advice for newcomers, for virgins? Uh, I think virgins need to listen to all the positive input that they can find, uh, especially if it's on the internet, and to remember that if it's negative and it's on the internet, it's probably because the person putting it out is invested in some individual personal way that they only understand. 
and uh, I think that you need to listen to the practical things like on the Burning Man website, preparation for, or for your first burn and, and the various virgin tribes on uh, tribe.net and, and there you'll get the straight poop. Uh, I've even seen people who are trolls in the regular Burning Man tribe offer very helpful, concise and to the point information on the virgin tribes. Anything else before we wrap this up? Well, I, I'd like to say that uh, if you've never been to Burning Man, it's a good place to go to. I think you need to prepare. I think you need to remember that uh, one of the great pleasures of Burning Man is shared adversity. That's right, shared adversity. Come prepared, but know that the folks that you camp with, if you present yourself as a reasonable individual, will become your family. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Nabam. I really have enjoyed this. This is cool. That was Ranger Sasquatch sharing his feelings and experiences about Burning Man at LADCOM. After talking to him, I met a woman by the name of Roxy Prophet. This encounter was freaky as she shared this story about a furry orange hat I made and gave to Chai Guy two years ago at Zara Dilzura. Unfortunately, Chai lost it within a half hour and we thought we'd never see it again. But we were wrong. Let's listen. So, um, I'm here at LADCOM with... This is Roxy Prophet. Roxy Prophet, where are you from, Roxy? Venice Beach, California. And what's your camp? Disorient and Club Baby Seal. All right, now two years ago, uh, Chai Guy and I were at Zara Dilzura, and what was your experience at Zara Dilzura? We were camped with Pangea that year, and um, one of the last nights I was cleaning up and I found this fuzzy orange hat, and it was so cute, I was like, this belongs to someone and I know they're missing it. And I was walking around going, whose hat is this? Whose hat is this? Nobody. All the su usual suspects, nobody's hat. You know, no one claimed it. And so I was like, well, I'm going to take it home with you and I'm going to give it lots of love until, you know, someone finds it again. Until today, and I see you, and you said, where did you get that hat? And, um, and uh, you said that you knew who Cause I belonged to. Because yeah. you made it. Yeah. And, and I was like, you made this? Oh, that's great. And then, and then you said, I said, I found this two years ago at Zara Dilzera. And you're like, I know whose hat that is. And you told me about the blog that he, he put his picture on. And he said, have you seen this hat? And um, so, yeah, I've just been walking around today, tonight with the hat on looking for Chai Guy, who you told me was the owner of it. And he walked up to me and he, he just smiled and he's fully wearing orange vest, orange everything, and totally matching furry like orange fur everything. And I said, what's your name? And he said, Chai. And I was like, ah, I have your hat, I have your hat, here it is. So yeah, we took a little commemorative photo and it was a very beautiful thing. And it's good, good, good when those things come back to you. Isn't that cool? But it's yeah. really cool, the story behind it. So did you wear it to events and things? I wore it all the time. <laughs> Can I tell you a quick story that's yeah, similar? Yeah. Uh, my my friend Phaedra, someone gave her a bike at, at Disorient also because no, someone left it there, never claimed it. We were all packing up. She brought it home to Venice, locked it up on her front porch. Her upstairs neighbor came down the stairs to find the bike that he left at Burning Man two years ago. And he came out and he's like, look, this is my bike. I have the serial number. I have the papers and everything. She's like, I believe you. And it was locked up on his front porch. Oh, weird. That's Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah. They come back. It all comes back. It comes back. And if it doesn't, you gotta let it go. You, exactly. gave, up, you, you, you gave up the hat and got the beautiful, <laughs> you got the beautiful LED thing on the ground. Yeah. What did you get? 
That was Roxy Prophet at LADCOM, sharing the story of the fuzzy orange hat. Coming up, we meet with Chris, a member of the U.S. Army who has served two tours of duty in Iraq. However, at LADCOM, he was spinning mad beats at the Hamor Roborus installation. I caught up with Chris and Alex, one of the key builders in the Hamor Roborus project, at the close of DCOM. Let's listen. Um, yeah, I. Uh, What's your name, Fred? Chris Freeman. And uh, yeah, right out of high school, I joined the army. 18 years old. And yeah, my dad was our major. He died of cancer when I was like 12. So it was something I wanted to do. You know, follow footsteps. Other than the dying part, and uh, you know, I figured if I could make it halfway as good as he did, it'd be all right in life. And uh, so, yeah, I joined the army, and uh, I was a medic at first. I went to nursing school, got my LPN, and became uh, I worked in newborn nursery labor delivery. <laughs> and then uh, my MOS, my job was overstrength, so they sent me this letter in the mail. It's like, oh, you need to reclass, you get a new job, or we're going to reclass your needs of the army, which means infantry, blah blah blah. So I had done some logistics before in medical supply, so I was like, oh, I'll be a supply guy. Did the supply thing, and then the first time I went to Iraq was 04 to 05, and I was the Iraqi National Guard logistics NCO I see, which means I was in charge of getting all the supplies to the Iraqi National Guard folks. And I'm, that's how I got my foot in a contract. Yeah, I was in Baghdad the first year, and then yeah, I got my foot in the door with contracting, and like, this is my fourth job in the Army, I just started doing contracting. Just got back two months ago from... You had two tours, right? Right. Your second tour in Baghdad. Or your second tour in Iraq. Second tour in Iraq, right. And I just got back two months ago from Balad, I was there only there for six months doing contracting work. So that's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, is buy stuff. But then... Right after you got home, you went to Burning Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like Ben, like I met Ben at Apogea in Colorado Springs. We live in Colorado. And like he knew I DJed. I was going out there with some guys I knew. We just started playing. How'd you get into DJing again? Well, I've always been a fan of the music since the early 90s when I first heard house music. You know, it was like everybody back then used to use industrial type stuff, Front 242. Yeah. And like the first time I heard it, I was like, "This is this is it, man. This is what this is what I've been waiting for." And I never got into DJing. Like I followed the music and had crazy CD collection, but I never got into it. And I went to Europe. I was stationed over in Germany for two and a half years. Went to Luxembourg. Went, in the army and shit. Well, no, this was like two thousand. Like, yeah, two thousand. So. Uh, these guys I started hanging out with in Luxembourg kind of took me under their arm and, and uh, I ended up getting a DJ spot at this place called the Elevator Bar in Luxembourg. What do you mean you got a DJ spot? Like, how'd you spin your first record? Like, what? I didn't play record. I, bought, I had this massive CD collection, so I started, I bought the Gemini cheap ass. Wait, back <laughs> in the 90s you were spinning CDs? No, no, back in 2000. Oh, 2000 like I say, I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't. You know, I was like, I'll buy these cheap ass things. I didn't have any money. I was like, I'm, I'm, I want to do it, and I started doing it. And these guys heard what I, you know. You were in the army at this point. Yeah, 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 over in Europe. But I was going to Luxembourg every weekend because, <laughs> to me, it was the best kept secret of Europe. It's just well, a lot of British like community. Like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, getting back to meeting Ben and and, and us forming. Yeah, <laughs> Burning Man. Yeah, so Ben had this ant project that, you know, the big 55-foot ant that was on Playa, and it, 
you know, I got back from Iraq and we had probably about a month, not even months, about three weeks to, to finish wrapping that up and I started getting involved in that, helping with that. And then we went out there, built this ant, and we DJ'd out were, there. So you went out to Burning Man before the party started like you were out there in the early setup because right, yeah, yeah, we yeah. built these it monkeys like, and like that's a huge out community there. out there like the yeah. week before people are out there it's a small pe group of people and everybody's working like everybody's setting something yeah, up so you saw and your first time at Burning Man you were yeah. part of that yeah it was pretty pretty intense man and like I'd heard about it and like expected to see these things like I don't know it was kind of weird you've been to a lot of parties been uh, yeah I've been to Beats for three summers in a row was Love Parade blah 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 yeah, but yeah. nothing Love Parade nothing yeah, in Berlin, but it's nothing compares to what I experienced out there. Um, How did you get to Burning Man? We drove. Um, <laughs> we drove. I, I hauled the uh, the ant on the back of this car hauler. What's the ant? The ant, the 55-foot ant. <laughs> this big red ant out there that we, we, you know, we broke it down and put it on this car hauler and hauled it out there and assembled it out on the playa. And that was crazy in itself. <laughs> Yeah, and just like, you know, Ben and I, we started DJing, like I say, in Apogee, and then we did Burning Man, and it's just like, we want to blow up, because we have, well, you heard our set. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and talk about it, but, yeah, it's just like... Do, do, do dudes in the army, like, listen to your music? Do you spin for your... associate people in the army, right? I was going to say, I... You don't associate, you're in combat with these no, guys. Well, like, I do, but I don't, like... You are, you are. By the way, radio listeners, this man is wearing a boa, so he's not fraternizing with the troops as much as he's wearing a boa. Are you gonna go to Burning Man next year? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna fly, play with you guys. I, dude, you played with us tonight. You guys were off the hook. You guys were great. We, Peter Hudson, ooh, ah, built these monkeys, and we all helped him build it. And we've and we've set it up several places. And you know, we're always like behind schedule and shit like that. And but tonight, like we built a DJ booth in the fucking tree that spins the monkeys. And it was Chris and Ben, the guy he was talking about, who actually physically went to Home Depot and got the wood and like specked it out and built the shit. And uh, several of us spun, including myself. And like this whole thing that we've done with this art and this thing that we just, we totally like built a DJ booth in there. And yeah, you created a space. It, it, it came with. We just created a space. We like dropped fucking ill beats from the middle of a tree. That's the fucking key part. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was an experience. It got rained out last night. That was a bummer. That was Chris and Alex at the Homora Robris installation at LADCOM. As we close out today's episode, I want to invite you to check out the Burncast blog at our website, burncast.net, where you'll learn more about what's going on in the burner community, including a bright, hot pink video from Halcyon at SFDCOM, a blog post in the San Francisco Bay Guardian about the recent passing of Tifa Novoa of El Circo, Dan Turdeman's blog post at Maker Fair about Burning Man art, and a really cool video from the Canada News Network as Japan covers Burning Man 2007. Please be sure to leave your comments or suggestions in our blog. You've been listening to Burncast, a podcast spreading the flames about the art, culture, and community of Burning Man. For more information, visit our website, burncast.net. 
to contact us, please call the Burncast hotline at 775-363-5861 or click on the MyJingo audio recorder at our website, burncast.net. A very special thanks to Lecter of nospectators.com for hosting these podcasts. 